folks. Welcome to another episode of 10 Laws with East Forest Podcast. This week, my guest is Mikey Siegel. You might have heard me talking about him on weeks prior. That's because I've been up at Eslin a couple times working with him on his group flow project and out at his place in Silicon Valley. And his group flow project is uh, sort of a biofeedback project with a group, obviously, 24 people currently, who are all wired up so we can get uh, biofeedback about their heart rate, their breath, I think other things are starting to play around with brain waves and emotional response and things like this. And that comes back at the user in creative ways via sound and headphones, via sound on a PA, and also currently with like a little light in front of them that's sort of a multicolored light that, uh, for instance, like your heartbeat, you might hear your heartbeat represented as your actual heartbeat in your headphones. You can see it perhaps on your light, or you might hear it through the PA, through the subwoofer, which is a pretty profound experience. But then you might do exercises that we could develop. It's a very malleable system where you could be with a partner and you're looking in their eyes and you're holding your own light, which is your heartbeat, and you could pass it to your partner and now you hear in your headphones their heartbeat or you could hear a merging of both your heartbeats. So you basically can do whatever you want with this sort of data and biofeedback information and create different experiences with groups. So Mikey... Um, I just got back from Esalen. I was there with uh, Rada, a.k.a. Marissa Wepner. She came along too. And, and Mikey has a residency at Esalen, which is a pretty cool thing that they're doing, giving him a month to develop his work and bring in lots of different collaborators and just kind of like see what works. So I, I dropped in for a couple days and basically was providing a musical journey against a backdrop of these different breath and heartbeat experiences. And I had a controller where I could turn on and off individual person's heartbeats into the PA and volume levels. And then I also changed the sound of, for instance, with the heart rate, their heartbeat sound turned into different nature field recordings. So like your heart could become a frog. And then against the backdrop of this live music, sort of like my East Forest ceremony music, uh, their heart re- heartbeat as a nature sound is fitting into that backdrop as, as nature, which has a whole nother layer of meditative and emotional value. So that's sort of one of the things that Mikey is up to. He's been a real busy guy doing lots of talks all around the world and has a really unique perspective on how technology can be harnessed to essentially deepen our human experience and increase empathy and increase connection with other people. And as you, anyone who's listened to this podcast knows, I'm probably not as um, that. I'm a bit more <laughs> skeptical and thinking more about technology as a mechanism that tends to inherently pull us away from our sense of what it means to be human in the world. And something, at least from my own experience, that uh, it, it increases the sense of separation between ourselves and nature, between ourselves and beingness. And that's something that is sort of a fundamental change that's been going on in humanity in the last, well, since the iPhone came out. So that was about 10 years ago. I think we might talk about this a bit in the podcast, but it's, it's a big deal. But I also share a common thread with Mikey that I'm very interested in how technology uh, can be used as a positive tool to do just what he wants to do. So we actually have the same goal and the same interests. He's just a bit more of an optimist, and 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 that's fantastic. We, you know, I wish I was too. Um, I just the technology I'm using is more music. And even ceremony, the kind of the ritual or any ritual we do, but the ritual we bring into these East Forest ceremony concerts is a form of technology, just as a basic ceremony has been for millennia. Um, So we have we have a lot of common threads there. And actually, you know, he and I would rap about this offline a lot. And I was just like, we should really get on the podcast and I'd love to 
dig into these subjects a bit more and and get his point of view. So I think you will enjoy this. And Mikey, this was recorded probably, a, I think, a month ago or something, but I just saw him a few days ago. I know he's going through a lot of changes in his life, and so you can check out his website to see what he's he's up to or where he's going to be and all that kind of stuff to, if you want it to be extra current. Um, but speaking of Esalen, there is a new retreat that has been added, two of them. One's pretty far off in June of 2019, but there's one coming right up in November. It's the weekend before Thanksgiving. And this is going to be myself. Whoops. It's the weekend before Thanksgiving in November. And this is going to be myself and Rada, Marissa Wepner. It's going to be there too. And it's going to be November 16th through 18th. So it's a Friday to Sunday out at Esalen. If you haven't been there, it's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. They have hot springs coming out of the side of the cliffs. We fill up these amazing hot tubs dangling over the ocean these beautiful lawn landscapes and a pool and wonderful vegetarian food and quaint housing of all different shapes and sizes. There's bunk rooms and then super private, beautiful spots. So varying price ranges for you to look at. But this will be a weekend of exploring how music can be used as a tool to bring us closer to ourselves. Um, And we'll be doing this um, through different modalities of movement and meditation co-collaborative experiences involving nature and active listening should be really fun. It's a bit of an experiment, but it also just be very restorative any way you look at it. So there's more information about that at eastforest.org slash retreat. And then just in a couple weeks now, we've got the East Forest Retreat in Southern Utah, in Boulder, Utah, which is my hometown. And that's coming right along. I think we might have just two spots left don't think I'm going to open it up beyond that because I kind of like a particular group size. But if you're really feeling the call, jump on that because uh, we might, only if there's like the perfect extra three, four, five people, we're like, all right, we got to, I got to open this up because I really do believe that the people who are supposed to be there are there. You know, these, these experiences are as much about synchronicity and allowing what is than anything else. And it's very much about place. So if the place is calling you, come on out. But we look forward to having you. But I'm coming to you today from Joshua Tree, California. I just wrapped up a very short mini tour in California, Southern California, doing a few East Forest ceremony concerts. And it is, I feel recharged with this stuff. I feel renewed. The Esalen part... um, was in that too, but we also were in San Diego and Santa Barbara. I just want to thank uh, Yoga Soup and Trilogy Sanctuary for for hosting me and, and, and sharing this with your community. It's just, I'm just really appreciating being able to try something that I know is different. And just for some people, it's a bit, a bit of a, a lift to be like, what are we, what are we doing? <laughs> and I'm like, look, it's basically a concert where you get to lie down and there's some elements of meditation. Um, but beyond that, there's something special going on, and it's evolving in, in my heart and in my mind. And every time I get to do one of these, it, it helps me to try different things and tweak the process, all with the intention of really working to find how, how can we make a reliable and repeatable religious, shall I say, or spiritual or mystical experience um, that's something, the kind of doorway that anyone could walk through and the kind of experience that is free of any dogma that it's you can't argue with it. And I mean that the, the words and the messages and the techniques we're using are universal and we're talking about you and empowering you and your mind and your body and your intention. Um, I'm not necessarily saying it's about interdimensional beings or... Um, I mean, probably the the furthest I go is to talk about your soul, but I'm really trying to find something that can help plant seeds in our beingness and and find an evening of of relaxation and and rejuvenation, restoration, to find those parts of yourself, your intuitive knowledge, which is, these are all just things I, I want to tap into myself and so all these different techniques and experiments are different ways of me exploring my own psyche and my own heart 
to just live in this this strange experience of of uh, consciousness with more grace. <laughs> so with that note, uh, let's get into this conversation with Mikey. Uh, please do at some point take a moment to scroll down on your phone. I think if you go to like the main show page on your iPhone, if you're on the, the newest OS, you hit like all available episodes or something. I don't know, somewhere down, if you keep scrolling around, you'll see the rating system. And giving it a quick five stars and even better writing a little review makes a big difference. So that's a small effort you can make. Come on, just scroll on down, hit the five stars. It really helps other people who are digging around in the podcast world think about maybe giving this one a listen. And we're all just trying to create new stories out there. So thank you so much for doing that. Um, There are some other dates coming up in Colorado in November and stuff. That's all at eastforest.org. And some new things being announced soon, blah, blah, blah. Let's get into this. This is Mr. Mikey Siegel. Hey Mikey, thanks for thanks for coming on. Hey Trevor, it's it's my pleasure. Where you been these days? Have you been to other countries and all around? I know you're a busy guy. I, you know, actually, I just came from a festival that I think we both have some experience with, um, Beloved in Beloved. Oregon. Beloved, yeah, 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 yeah. How was that this year? Um, it was amazing. Um, my first time there, I had a chance to um, experience. Um, the very heart-centered, nature-oriented festival, um, really beautiful people, beautiful music, and then give a talk on a workshop around technology, which oh. um, I was a little nervous going into because it uh, it felt a little bit like um, a little bit like a culture clash. But I guess probably what we'll be talking about a little today is is um, that was kind of the theme of my talk. Also, was kind of the the dancing of these of these two right. things together culture class because you felt like the vibe of that festival or just like Oregon hippies or, I mean, it's the West yeah. coast. It's, it's still, you know, tapped in. Yeah. Part of the, part of the culture clash felt like, um, that people are there to connect with nature right. and to kind of, uh, connect with their, with their embodied experience to connect, um, with the sort of the flow of life mm-hmm. and, it's this feeling that all of a sudden you show up and you start sort of talking around about technology and science and sort of this futuristic visions for humanity. Um, or at least if that's the idea of it, that, um, that there's a, there's a sort of a contrast there, there's a dissonance. And, and I guess to kind of, to kind of jump right into it, um, it's interesting because as I'm saying it, I'm realizing like, that's really, that dissonance is the thing that I'm, basically playing with all the time. You know, I was actually driving yeah. today in an Uber and, um, uh, and, and I was, um, the woman who was driving the Uber asked me what I do. And I, and I said something like, we, I, I said something like merging spirituality and technology, something like that. And she stopped and she looked at me and she said, I've, I've never even considered that, you know, that's, that's a, such a weird concept. It's never she, even occurred she, to me. She didn't think like you were talking about AI sex dolls. <laughs> I don't think she thought that. <laughs> she actually ended up, she ended up. She was a very religious a Christian, actually. Okay. Uh, which is kind of where she was coming from, and and I guess my my response to her was the fact that that seems so dissonant mm-hmm. is is what gives purpose to what I do in the world. Uh huh. Yes, it gives fuel for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how's that going? Merging spirituality and technology for you? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it continues to be um, it continues to be an interesting journey. And I guess just I, I feel like I've sort of laid this sort of preface out without actually like saying what the thing is. Um, so people are probably like like 
wondering what the hell I'm talking about. Um, well, I'll give a bit of a preamble to this, I'm sure. And I've actually spoken a little bit about another podcast because I think I recorded one when I was at your house and I spoke a bit to what we were up to at that particular time. But there's sort of like the micro level of what you're actually working on. And then there's the mm-hmm. macro level of like these philosophical ideas of like, why, why is this even the case at all? You know? Right. And they're right. both interesting things to talk about. And I, t- I talk a lot about and think a lot about technology um, and the ways that it's changing society and the ways that it is uh, really enrapturing our minds and our attention. And I know you have a bit more of a optimistic view than I've had in the past. And so that's something I'm really interested in. And I'm, mm. you know. So yeah. anyway, yeah, what would you like to say before I get too much in the weeds, if anything? Yeah, yeah, I love the weeds. Um, <laughs> um, you mean just in terms of uh, a kind of giving more grounding to to, to kind of what who I am and what we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah, I think I'm, I'm sure that would be helpful. You don't need to feel like you have to cover your whole work and your life, but uh, yeah. if you, just a little background. I think I think just the sh- in terms of short a short intro to kind of just give some grounding to, to what I've been alluding to. Um, I liked the framing that we had in the in the workshop that we actually that we did together at Esalen. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and and the framing for that is is was first a reminder that every single part of the technology that's around us comes from the earth. Right. Like everything's yeah. made from the earth, literally everything. Everything is made from the earth. Yeah. Um, including us. Including us. Um, but some things that are made from the earth, we we call natural. And some things we, we think of as, as unnatural. Um, and I think that's a really interesting distinction. And probably at the top of the list of the things that seem unnatural are, you know, like our phones and our computers. You know, right. and 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 yet, you know, when birds build birds nests or bees build beehives or termites build termite mounds, we, we don't think of those as unnatural. And and my sense is that what we're feeling is that there's a way in which we're creating out of harmony with life's natural rhythms. And that this modern technology that we've created um, is created from, um, I guess, you know, you could say a different uh, kind of connection or a different kind of um, intelligence or a different kind of consciousness um, than, um, you know, in the animal kingdom where like bird's nests come from, or even in the human kingdom where like art and music come from, where poetry comes from, you know, where Uh where dance comes from. Right. And the technology is sort of coming from a, you know, not entirely, but can be coming from a different place. And sort of we feel that. And so um, in our workshop, the exploration was how can technology actually be sacred? How can technology actually be a tool to support the deepest, most sacred kinds of human experiences? And humans have been building um, objects, sacred objects for millennia to support a spiritual experience. So why can't a modern technology play that role as well? Um, and that's what I'm, what I'm really interested in. And I would, I would take it a step further. I would say, um, if we don't begin designing modern technology with um, more, more heart, more wisdom, um, a, 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 a deeper sense of, of the in- interconnectedness of, of all things, then we're going to be um, really um, digging ourselves into a hole as a humanity, because the technology is playing such a profoundly influential role. Um, and that influence is going to go one way or the other. Do you think it could be a simultaneous thing? I mean, for instance, we're already in a hole of sorts. Mm-hmm. And here we are using this technology on to do this podcast and using the, it's going to go through their phones, uh, 90% of people to listen to it. And so we have this sort of positive meme on one hand and then on the other meme, that same tool, the phone is used for distraction or 
you know, messing with their brains in ways they're not totally conscious of, uh, you know, these tools being used simultaneously for uh, different polarities of, of energy and how it's helping our society or hindering it. Yeah. Do, do, you, do I, you see it like a scale almost? I mean, do you see it like we need to just have more of the other? Yeah. To be honest, I really see it um, as a, I see it as more um, a, a complex fabric of, of human expression. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, I, you know, it's easy to simplify things and to say things are good and things are bad and watch out, you know, dangerous mm-hmm. times are coming, but actually, um, uh, technology for me, what we call modern technology is actually part of a sort of a seamless, um, uh, weave of human expression that includes all that we do as humans from language to, to music, to dance, to politics, to, uh, you know, all of these ways that we express as humans and technology is a particular kind of space of that expression. Yeah. It's a form of expression. Yeah. It's a form of expression that's largely based in a scientific worldview. Um, And that scientific worldview has a lot of advantages and benefits to it. Um, it's, it's gotten us to the moon, you know, I mean, it's, it allows for incredible innovation and, 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 um, progress in some ways, but it also has certain, um, downsides and limitations. You know, it has a, for example, at its heart, um, a fundamental view that, you know, the role of hum- humans is to control and dominate nature rather right. than a view of being part of an interconnected relationship with nature, or it has a fundamental sense of the separation between subject and object that there's a me that's fundamentally separate from this observed reality. Um, and so the, there are a, a number of these assumptions um, that I think end up manifesting or playing into the way the technology is designed and the way the technology um, influences us. But, but I think beyond that, even in a more subtle way, you have a lot of a modern tech industry that um, in a lot of cases, not all cases, I don't even know what percent, is driven by greed, is driven by a desire for control, um, is driven by um, uh, putting greater value on, um, on sort of the objectifying of people as ways to, to harness value and resources rather than actually caring for their well-being. I mean, I guess it sort of comes down to uh, having shareholders that you're beholden to and being beholden to making profits to them. And when you do that, then it's just like screen time is equates with advertising, which equates with profits. And then it just becomes a game of attention and a game of smoke and mirrors in a way. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, what ways for you do you find that you're able to, I mean, I'm sure this is a a struggle you work with on your own. You're a busy guy. And I'm a busy guy. And it's like, we. how do you find that you're able to use the technology in a way that brings you closer to spirit? And what are the ways that it doesn't? I mean, beyond the obvious, like, you know, you're just like, is it about creating space? Is it about, um, I know you've done a lot of work with biofeedback. It's about, so it's about like getting closer to your internal experience. Uh, what is it for you? So I want to answer that in two ways. One, a a kind of a bolder um, way to say that um, I I certainly don't feel, for the most part, like technology plays that role for me in my life. Um, I, um, I really look forward to a future that, for me, we've barely scratched the surface of, where technology um, is is like nothing we've ever imagined and is, and is playing that role. Um, and so like when I'm connecting to deeper experience, you know, I'm, I'm doing the things that we all do, you know, I'm dancing and I'm meditating and I'm doing, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Um, that said, um, a lot of my time is spent thinking about and designing and building technologies and helping other build technologies that are trying to get there, that are trying to get closer and, you know, I can talk a little bit about the group flow project that we collaborated on. Um, and for me, that's, um, the closest I've been able to get 
to thinking about right now in this moment, what a technology might look like that's really designed to connect us more deeply to ourselves and each other. And this is a platform that can support up to 24 people connected to sensors that measure the heart and the breath and turn that into sound and light and music. And the technology's role there really is to help us build a deeper relationship with not only our own heart and our own breath, but the hearts and breaths of the other people in the group. And ideally to help to create a kind of a synchronized fabric of experience. Um, and so, you know, we do things like, as you know, Trevor, like um, people doing meditations where they're um, actually connecting to their own heartbeat while actually hearing their own heartbeat through their headphones and then holding their heart in their hand as a pulsing light and then turning to their neighbor and um, and then all the while, while guided by a meditation teacher, um, trading actual pulsing hearts and then actually having um, the sound swap. So they're actually hearing each other's hearts and making eye contact and creating this very humanizing experience using technology, which can often be dehumanizing. Um, but also, I thought that the experiences that we created together at Esalen through your music were, were amazing. Um, do you want to do you want to describe? Well, we basically, what we- added the layer of music, and not just music, but live music that's uh, being created in the moment and using all these different heartbeats as instruments, in a sense, and then creating adding in that layer, additional, more layers of ritual and ceremony. So it's sort of uh, the music is taking you on a journey and um, you're, you're, you're hearing your own heart as sort of a musical element inside all that. And that's being played creatively, but hopefully deepening your spiritual experience. So, of course, I'm always a big proponent of how music, we all know how music can do that. That's how films work, right? You know, films without music, there's not there's not a lot to them. It's hard to make a film with a real emotional arc without a musical score, uh, and it's also the uh, the thing that takes it from a two dimensional medium into a three dimensional medium because the sound is connecting the picture on the screen to your body, your ears with sound waves. So, yeah, it's a really interesting experience uh, doing that with you. It's 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 kind of like a pretty in depth way of doing biofeedback that's also very creative how you could, you know, use this system you made in a malleable way to like show people others' heartbeats or theirs, put it on the headphones, put it on the speakers. You could have the aggregate of all that information on a central globe of light that sort of is pulsing as people are sinking or not sinking. And so there's there's multiple levels of feedback they can receive. Mm. Um, And that system you've created is... A group base. I suppose you could do it as an individual too, but I think you think it's stronger as a group. And I think one of your interests is that, like how it enhances your connection with others. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I've just found um, for myself um, how important the interpersonal aspect of transformation um, and healing is. And um, I've spent a lot of time on my own spiritual path, sitting on a cushion, meditating, sort of doing the solo right. thing. Right. And, um, you know, actually uh, at Beloved, um, I had a really incredible journey. Um, and I was on the dance floor and I was walking through the woods and all this stuff, but it was really a solo journey. And it was really very centered on my own experience. And I really needed that. It was really nourishing and it was really transformative. And at the end of the journey, I went and sat down to, with a very close friend and then my, my wife, Nora. Um, and I was feeling a little uncomfortable. Like I wanted to kind of get, get back by myself. And I was exploring why did I, why did I feel this discomfort? What was going on? And I... I sort of like leaned my head over on, on, on my friend. And then my friend sort of started kind of, you know, stroking my hair and just started to have just some 
like intimate contact with a friend. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, I had been missing that whole dimension, that whole space of that intimate contact and my whole body relaxed. Mm. My whole system, um, my whole nervous system started to what felt like a sort of um, dance with this other person, right? Mm. And started to change my breathing. And I started to um, find a sense of comfort and a sense of groundedness um, through that connection. And my feeling is, is like that whole space of how we connect and, and our resistances to connection and our discomfort around connection. It's not just about feeling good in a, in a cuddle puddle, right? I mean, this is where global conflicts come from, right? This is why in Congress and in the United Nations, it's difficult to get things done, right? I mean, this is why countries fight against each other. Um, this is why neighbors fight against each other, right? We, um, we need to come together, not just in connection with ourselves, but to really um, find the way that we can come into connection with um, with all of us as a humanity. Yeah. Do you feel that there are blind spots that people have with the technology we're currently using in mass as like ways that maybe it's hindering that process? Um, my sense of the current technology landscape is um, in many ways it's it's catering to... Uh, a large global addiction to distraction. Distraction from what? Distraction from our own felt experience. Because and the because, felt experience is because we're we're largely um, in pain. Mm -hmm. We're anxious. We're depressed. Yes. We're we're uncomfortable. We 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 um, because we. In the, to the large part, I'm going to generalize, don't have a loving um, and harmonious relationship with our own experience. We don't have um, um, a, a healthy relationship with ourselves. We experience, because of that, a dissonance. We, we reject our emotions, right? We, we have constant negative thought patterns and self-criticism right? We, we ignore our own um, felt experience. And so um, we'll do anything to not have to pay attention to that. You know, the alcohol industry and, uh, you know, large parts of the entertainment industry and the porn industry, so many industries are basically industries that have emerged to cater to our desire to constantly help us get away from our own felt experience because our own felt experience kind of sucks. And for me, the tech industry is just a new way for us to do that. And it does it in a really effective way because mm -hmm. you can create these technologies that just like can lock in and hold your attention mm -hmm. in incredible ways. And not only that, um, there's a whole, as you mentioned earlier, attention economy, which has emerged yeah. now. Yes. Right. Where now you can also feed people advertisements and have all this, uh, you know, ways of, of controlling them in certain senses, influencing them because you have a hold of their attention. And so it's this symbiotic relationship where we want to be distracted. Right. And there's a lot of profit to be made from that distraction. Yeah. Are you worried about things like VR or you think it's a non-starter? Do you think like that would make things magnified worse or... Are you excited yeah. about it as a technology that you could I'm also use? I'm excited about it with its, as I am with all these things because of its potential. Mm -hmm. So every time you get a bigger, bigger amplifier, which VR is like a, a bigger amplifier, yeah. um, it's, a, it's probably one of the most powerful, you know, what you might call attentional attractors, you know, to ever exist um, in terms of things that can really, you know, compared to like an old radio, right? Yeah. VR, it's like, it's like an atomic bomb in terms of its capacity to hold our attention, especially as it gets more realistic and more immersive. And so um, the ability to, um, to really perpetuate suffering in the world is even greater. And the ability to use that as a spiritual tool is even greater. You know, every single meditation technique ever invented is some strategy to shape and direct the quality of our attention. 
Every single one. Because we are what we attend to. And so VR is one of the most powerful attentional shapers or attractors that we've created as humans. Well, then it could be used as a meditation tool for that reason. But it has to be designed with that intention. And that's the missing ingredient we need. And this is kind of my soapbox. We need startups and companies and entrepreneurs and venture capitalists and a whole ecosystem to emerge, which is firmly rooted in the fundamental intention to support the um, well-being of humanity. Do you think that there's money in that? Like, is that there a motivating factor? We can monetize um, this side of of things. Um, so it's a it's a tricky thing um, when your bottom line is just profit, even if you've got good intentions. But when your bottom line is profit, then the system will begin to shape around optimizing for profit, and um, it's probably not the case that the easiest way to make profit is also the easiest way to support well-being in the world. As of it's now, probably yeah, not. right. Um, so what you have emerging are new um, structures like B Corps and other, other types of structures where the bottom line also has social impact, where the investors actually sign on, including legal documents, where they say, if you're not also optimizing for social impact along with profit, then you're actually failing. The company's a failure. And those are the kinds of new structures that are, um, are going to begin to change things. And we're seeing it. We're already seeing, um, you know, in my little world that I live in, you've got, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars now of funding that are dedicated just to these types of projects um, with these kinds of um, intentions. But are, are people investing in that because of their conscience or because they see that as... Um a smart investment financially. Like, yeah. Do people make so, B Corps because uh, their heart tells them to or because it's actually a smart thing to do? It's like kind of green investment. Yeah. So you see both, right? You see, of course, there's the whole greenwashing phenomenon where you can make more money by being green. But um, I am seeing incredibly inspired human beings Yeah. who, as far as I can tell, are a- actually fully committed to using their resources for the uplifting and well-being of humanity. And now here's the here's the cool thing. Um, probably the single most demanded thing on the planet is for us to actually come home to our own experience. You know, whatever yeah. you want to call that, happiness, well-being, reconnection, awakening, whatever you want to call it. But I think almost every human endeavor is some more or less unskillful attempt at that. Yeah. Right? Almost every human industry is ultimately just an, a veiled effort for us to actually be happy. And they're and selling so, authenticity and genuineness is what, you know, what or they're appearing to, or that's what people are very hungry for. Right. And that's on the, on the positive side of the rainbow, or they're selling porn or well drugs right, or but whatever the, peep, the, you know? the consumer is looking for an authentic experience even if they're doing it in a really backwards way you know like right so so you have the explicit self-help you know spirituality yoga you have those industries that are whether it's actually explicit you know where they're actually kind of looking for it um but i guess just to say like the potential for that industry is so huge that there's like so much money to be made and from my view like the best way that I could imagine people making money is where the more profit you make, the better off the world is. Mm-hmm. And if every business in the world could be structured in that way, where the greater the profit, the better off the world is, well, then industry becomes a world saving structure. Right. And, uh, but it's only when you have, you know, what some people call an extractive economy where the more money that is made, the more value is actually removed from the system. That's where these sorts of industries are actually harmful to the planet. So what we need is to shift from an extractive economy to an additive economy, right? And you're already beginning to see these kinds of social impact endeavors and businesses and that kind of stuff, you know, emerging. You're saying within capitalism. I mean, it's... 
within within capitalism. Yeah, sort of within our current economic system, it's sort of changing the way we look at profit, I suppose. Or I mean, you're right. I mean, if we commodify things, eventually you run out of things to commodify, or uh, that becomes a problem. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or, you know, reset. And like you said, everything's made from the earth. At some point, you start running out of certain particular resources, which we're already seeing on some levels. Um, or the the waste of it, like taking into account the cost of the waste, and recognizing that there's a limit to how much we can we can consume and create. But what do we do with the stuff? Again, it's still on our planet. Uh, yeah, that, do you think it's something that would be driven by consumers, or is it going to be driven by visionaries who are in, are creating and investing? Well, um, it has to be both, right? Um, yeah. And, but I, but what you're already seeing, um, is the emergence of, you know, I, I've got a, where's the book, uh, sitting on my shelf. Uh, it's called, I think the, the world of, um, the world of three zeros, um, by, a, a Nobel prize winning economist. And it's, this is exactly what the book is about, is about, um, how do you create, um, uh, social impact, um, business models. Um, and, and tons of examples of them that are actually structured in this way. And, and I think that, you know, someone like you, Trevor, I mean, this is in a way what you're doing, you know, when, when you create music, right. And, um, and you're, you're actually adding value to the world through the creation of your art, when you are actually making money from that, your profit is actually generated through an additive process, you know, of actually improving people's lives and experience. I guess it is nice to make something out of nothing, so to speak. I mean, yes, I buy instruments or whatnot, but at the end of the day, you're, the constituent parts you're making new art out of, when it's somewhat digital, it kind of comes out of the ether. And then that's added into the world. Um, and... And my interest has always been in creating genuine, repeatable spiritual experiences for people and creating pause, uh, creating a, sort of a crack in the armor of our, our hypnotized lives. And mm-hmm. I, like, I like technological experiences that take me in that direction personally, you know, whether it's meditation things or sensory experiences or... Uh, I count music as technology, you know, um, anything like that. I really value that kind of stuff. I mean, I think people are really hungry for <clears throat> experiences that are that create felt experiences for them that enliven something and that feels dormant or not spoken to. And they, they're also looking for guides because we're a, a, a country and a society that doesn't have a lot of wisdom like that anymore. And there's a lot of charlatans. There's a lot of false paths. And they're really looking for just simple wisdom or tools that actually work. When I put my uh, kind of ultra-optimistic utopia hat on, and I imagine you know, <laughs> that what, what, the, uh, what a, the future that I would love to see, that I, that I want to support, it's... Um, it's where we really innovate on spirituality in a way that is truly um, um, holistic and integrated and in, and in harmony with the, the, the best interests and the deepest needs of human beings, meaning not in a way that's sort of superficial and harmful and just trying to make a buck, but I mean really taking the greatest um, roots of wisdom that exist as, a hum- as human beings and combine that with the incredible capacities of science and technology and say, how do we design the most advanced and supportive and universally accessible um, tools imaginable that we can make available around the world to anyone that needs them so that the types of experiences that we both know and many of your listeners know are are really the the heart of what it means to be human yeah right getting the deepest essence of who and what we are um 
that those can be made more available. And, and, and what I'm interested in is, is really democratizing awakening, mm. right? Where this is no longer something that is only available to those people that can, you know, trek to, to India or to, you know, pay the money to find, you know, have book, you know, $100 an hour with a meditation teacher in California, or, you know, that this is no longer some limited resource. But in the same way that a basic human right is to have access to food and water and housing, a basic human right is to have access to really advanced tools that support our, our interconnectedness. And how would the world change when all of a sudden we could support a massive global shift in consciousness, you know, how does the world become like hackers that do that? You know, if like anonymous shifted their energy to putting out like free or open, open source tools that do this sort of thing, you know, as, as uh, opposed to like taking systems yeah. down that we're focused on, like adding like a new, uh, you know, propagating this new energy into the world as opposed to like always putting out fires. And it's and it's a natural progression too because right now we're we're kind of coming from my view coming out of the information age into the experience age, and in the information age it was all about making information as freely accessible as possible. Um, mm. Any music, any video, any content you want on demand through your phone, through your computer, any way you want. Something that was unimaginable twenty years ago, right? Right. And so a lot of what hackers have been doing is actually freeing information. Now, the, in, the experience age also has its own kind of sci-fi scariness to it, but also its incredible potential, which is experience on demand, right? What happens when you can put on a device and you can feel any way you want at any time in any place, right? Yeah. Um, so the, the implications of that are very sci-fi, and it's something that I think is inevitable There's because there's such a demand for it. And so it's inevitable that you're going to have... Um, technologies that are a thousand times more addictive than heroin, right? That provide you with the same type of experience, but for even longer periods of time, you know, and, um, and everything in between. Um, but you're also going to have um, technologies that are going to be a thousand times more potent than meditation. And there's actually a group working on a technology that's connected to our our house and folks that are around and I can't say too, too many details cause there's some secret parts to it. Um, but, um, they're using ultrasound stimulation and they're stimulating a specific part of the brain. And, um, one of the, um, visitors to my house recently as uh, a well-known meditation teacher who probably a lot of your listeners would know who I, I, I can't name, um, been teaching meditation and meditating for over 50 years. And he said that this technology, which he tried, was the single most potent intervention that he's ever tried in support of his meditative experience. And he said that the shift that he experienced from this technology was the equivalent of about five long meditation retreats. And he's overjoyed because from his view, he's a very progressive guy. From his view, this is just about making the experience more accessible. He's not a believer that there's some amount of trudging through the mud that you have to do to get there. And that's a common sentiment, right? That, that we have, that there's this sort of certain amount of suffering you have to experience before you can feel good. And, um, and I want to honor that because it's, it's very common. It's one of the most common uh, kind of um, resistances that I get, this, this sort of notion of shortcuts, right? This idea that um, we're, we're sort of circumventing or bypassing some important process. Um, and I, I kind of want to speak to that just for one second, because I, I bet most people are thinking that. And, and just to say that um, it's a very valid concern. And mm -hmm. I think the fact that it's so common adds to its validity, because this obviously this is uh, this is one of the most immediate things that people feel like. Wait a minute, like missing something. These are shortcuts. This is you know something's missing, and my sense is is that what people are worried about is that as we create these sort of new modern interventions, that we're going to be creating some new unforeseen harm, some some harm that didn't exist 
with these other more traditional approaches, you know? Um, and I'll first, I'll say that's almost guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. right? um, any new intervention is going to have its own downsides, right? Um, but I also want to say that that is part of the design process. And as long as the intention continues to be the best possible um, support of human beings that we can possibly muster, then when we notice that something's missing or when we notice that there's some downside, then that immediately becomes part of the design process and you refine the process. And, and it's, you know, this has been happening for thousands of years, right? Countless Buddhist traditions, for example, have refined and updated and enhanced their own meditation maps when they observe, oh, this meditation, this is where the students get stuck, right? In this meditation path. And so we have to create this new technique because they get stuck here, right? And so this, is, this has been part of spiritual traditions for, for thousands of years. Yeah, I get worried that someone like would, if anything gets very popular and profitable, that it'll be hard. Like you could look at something like Facebook, for instance, which is a very powerful technology. And like, like you know, someone, they could, they could turn it around to somehow like change the way their technology works so that it's actually like, instead of just pulling you down a rabbit hole, it's taking you in a different direction. Like the design of it and the use of it as a technology somehow is increasing your sense of self and your, your felt experience and your, you're becoming like centered in your brain, you know, how it's designed and how it works. And that would be really cool. I, I, I just worry, like you said about greed, like it seems like what we need is a fundamental shift in the tide of people's intentions because we can, we can make whatever we want. And I think you're absolutely right that we're going to have these tools that are get more and more and more and more powerful. Uh, it just becomes what we choose to do with it. Is it. Are you concerned at all or do you think about how AI could factor into this? Or I, don't, I think we've spoken about this a little bit and you're not a, quote, singularitarian. Uh, you don't believe that will create consciousness there'll be a moment where it's truly a conscious alive machine it might mimic it to the point where it feels alive but it's a different thing and it could do things for us that are incredible uh, but where, how do you see that factoring into our future which some say could be not that far away um ai is a really um important piece of this whole puzzle and i think people are right to um, be uh, reacting to it very strongly, one way or the other. Both directions, positive and negative, I think are both very justified. Um, and for me, um, the biggest question that I have around the design of AI is um, is who and why, <laughs> yeah. right? Who who's creating it and for what what purpose? And um, we really we create in our own image. Right? We are what we build and we build what we are. And AI will be one of the most potent um, uh, examples of that. And there's a, um, you know, I, 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 uh, there's a project I'm advising, um, which actually just got written up in Forbes. I'm very excited. Um, so check <laughs> it out. It? <laughs> huh? What is it? Uh, it's called the Loving AI Project. And mm. the goal of the project is, is to create an unconditionally loving artificial intelligence. And and putting aside the question of what does that even mean? Like, is the AI itself loving? Like, what does it mean to have the experience of love? Putting that aside for a second, even if it's just focusing on creating an AI, which we experience as unconditionally loving, right? Even if that's the only goal, forgetting about whether or not it's conscious, um, for me, that's an imperative when we're talking about AI and you look at this, this company and they have um, baked into their uh, founding team, um, uh, PhD neuroscientists and psychologists, spir uh, 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 meditation and spiritual teachers um, and people that have um, 
even on the engineering side, had meditation and spiritual practice for decades. And yeah. these are people that are genuinely creating this AI system from a desire to see um, the connection and awakening of humanity. And I imagine them getting um, half a billion dollars of funding. And then you take another AI company with equally skilled engineers whose bottom line is profit. And their CEO is some 32-year-old dude who uh, you know has is insecure and is trying to prove himself and you know hasn't worked out his mommy daddy issues and is just trying to essentially show <laughs> that he can have the biggest ai company in the world create a daddy um, yeah <laughs> and, and, and daddy. so <laughs> and so imagine the two companies um creating an incredibly well-funded and incredibly powerful ai which AI would you rather have set free into the world? Yeah, I think about DARPA and the military creating an AI or China or everybody else who's working on it too. And just, you know, what that even means. I mean, some of this stuff is a bit beyond my pay grade. I just think about the idea of unleashing machines that make their own decisions <laughs> on their own and can do that billions of times a second. And yeah. what that would even mean. Um, yeah. And then you get into this stuff about like quantum computing and it gets really crazy about the speed at which and what we can yeah. do. And that's, that's, that's now. And I don't even know where that'd be in five years, 10 years, let alone 20 years. So yeah, the, I, the, I, I love your optimism is, in, is infectious, Mikey. And I love it. And I love <laughs> that you, that you even dream, you know, this wonderful side of it too. Um, you know, I, I go more into like more of a bit of the renunciate energy of saying, oh, I need to pull away from this and this, but these are the certain tools I need to use. And I'm trying to find a certain balance with it. And I have to balance that out with experiences in nature or with music, you know, basically certain felt experiences that feel very primary as a way of refilling my own batteries. And mm -hmm. I know that's something that's in my bones as a human being. And in some ways, the technological stuff is mimicking that, like the fact that we even build an AI that was looking for unconditional love to offer us. There's a part of me that's sad that none of us maybe have experienced that yet, or if we can. Um, and so the, the ways in which that we're creating solutions out of our you know, disparate pains of being in modern life. And I wonder if it feels like band-aids as opposed to addressing the underlying cause, but you're right that the technology is not going away and it's only getting more amazing and capable and why not do interesting things with it? Um, yeah, I, I, um, I agree with you and I want to make one last sort of plea, you know, to you and, and your listeners as, as a kind of a, um, a slight shift on the, on this perspective, this sort of band-aid perspective. And to say, um, what the, what the world needs is more and more created from a place of love and, and wisdom. Yes. Yes. And, and that's it. And so whether that's music or whether that's technology when something is created from love, then it perpetuates love in the world. And so an AI created from love, all it is is a, a technological song that is playing, that is an expression of the love of the engineers and the entrepreneurs that made it, right? And, that, and the purity of that song is dependent on the purity and depth of the love and the wisdom and the, and the experience, the awakening of those that created it, the medium doesn't matter. It yeah. doesn't matter if it's a political system or a technological system. And so for me, the future I'm imagining is not one where sort of tech is, is kind of um, this thing that's kind of replacing nature. But when, when we're growing technology, right, when technology is emerging from the same natural intelligence that plants emerge from and is harmonized and living in an environment that is um, um, in a dance 
with the deepest aspects of our human experience and constantly in support and reinforcing that and helping to create a unified and interconnected experience for all humans, you know, that's when we won't even make a distinction anymore between technology and nature. Wow. Wow. That's awesome, man. I kind of want to end it on that sort of uh, upbeat note. I mean, that's a vision for the future I'd, I'd love to hold on to, just one of integration and and one where I, I think that's a key point that when things come from love and they come from a place of wisdom, whatever it is you're doing, that's really what the world needs, whatever we're doing, technological or not. Yeah, I know it sounds simplistic, but it is simple. It might not be easy, but it's simple. Yes. Thanks, Trevor. Cool. I'll link you up in the show notes and stuff, you know, but yeah, I enjoyed talking to you. Thanks, Trevor. I always enjoy our conversations. There you go, bud. There you go. Thank you, Mikey. Really appreciate it. Having the time for that conversation. I appreciate everyone on this podcast who makes time to talk with me. You might notice that this has been lately a two-week, every two-week thing, and that's just because I've been getting kind of busy. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll stick to two weeks for sure. If I can do it every week when I can, I absolutely will. Part of it's just a issue of, of getting people recorded and stuff, but thanks for your understanding with that. If, I'm always open to guest suggestions if you want to send them my way. Info at eastforest.org. You can also please just say hi, let me know you're listening. If you have any questions or comments, uh, I'd love to hear them. might read them on the air if they, if they feel like they need to be read. Uh, this music that you're listening to is called You Know, and it's off an album that's only on my website called Music Meditations. It's not one that, it kind of feels like an album of demos from way long ago in 2010. Actually from a previous podcast I had that's not even up anymore, where I used to just do a improvisation called it music meditation no i call it sound healing bites sound healing bites i got up to 64 episodes which means i did it about a year but the best or the ones i liked off that became a little record called music meditations and i remember being really unhappy with the mastering of it but that's a whole nother thing just the guy i used he didn't i always didn't like him didn't like what he did so it's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and I never put it out on like Spotify or iTunes or anything like that. But some people really tell me, like Mikey, it's actually his favorite record. And I was like, are you serious? Wow. It's like, yeah, anytime we journey, that's the one we use. It's like, interesting. So in honor of Mikey, the song you're hearing is called You Know. It's the last track on the album. It's very, very simple, sort of a meditation, something that came out uh, eight years ago. If you want to check that out, that's at music.eastforest.org or just go to eastforest.org and hit the music tab. All right, folks, give us a review. Give us some love. Keep listening. Keep walking your walk. Keep coming to live shows. Keep just being you because you are you and we need you. You are needed. Don't take any shit, but if you do, do it with grace.